Welcome to the Indie Experts Podcast, where we're unlocking all the secrets you need to know about writing, producing and publishing non-fiction books that really work hard for authors. Join Dixie and Anne as they help you navigate all the tricks, traps and the majestic tapestry of storytelling as a means of sharing your expertise to your market. So welcome everyone to another episode of the Experts Extension Program. We're very excited today because following on from what we were talking about last week, which was all of the things that you can do with your book, we're now going to be talking exclusively with Dave Stokes, who is an extraordinary man who creates the magic of audiobooks and podcasts. And not only does he create them or or produces them, he also uh, does podcasts and um, distributes the uh, audiobooks and podcasts and basically he's our all-round go-to guy for anything to do with audio and so we're delighted to have you here Dave thank you for making the time to um, to join us this morning and uh, we know from just you know conversations that I've had with you and I know a couple of our authors are already working with you um, the power of audiobooks and getting it right cannot be underestimated so what I want to do is basically fire through a bunch of questions because we all have masses of questions about audiobooks we know that they're growing in popularity and we know uh, I know when I'm talking to people about the fact that they should potentially do an audiobook version of their book the biggest question I get is should I narrate it myself and if so how do I do that so let's start with that should people narrate their own audiobooks can we have a hands up from the crowd? If you were do, to do your audio book um, tomorrow, would you want to narrate, narrate it yourself? I would. Yep. So there's some absolute definites without any discussion, and that's interesting. And that tends to match how um, most clients will come my way. Most will say, yes, I'd like to narrate it. I'd like to narrate it myself. And to some degree, um, I think what you're actually doing there is you're actually playing into your brand so being able to record it in your in your own voice, number number one, you have you have a whole bunch of things going for you. Um, first thing is it's very very easy to record yourself these days. Um, high quality audio recording equipment is very very cheap now, so it's completely possible to do it at home. You can go to a studio if you wish, but it does add another layer of complexity and actually makes things a bit less flexible. So you're going to have to try and block out an entire day to to get through to it. But I think the, um, the key positive message is that it's, it's your voice. You've written the book in your words. Your inner voice is the one that's actually produced these words. So to be actually, actually reading them out and for, the, and for the listener to be hearing those words, I think is, is authentic. And it's also familiar. The other um, main issue that I found with authors is once they've released their audio books, they'll then meet up with these folks at various speaking engagements or, or seminars and they'll actually, the author will be recognised by voice. So not so much as to their appearance, um, but the voice will be heard. And, and one of my, um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but Kate Christie, one of my authors, that was the most fascinating discovery for her is that there were people coming up to her after a presentation saying, saying, oh my goodness, I, I feel like I already know you. You know, I, I didn't recognise your face. But, um, but I recognised your voice when you started speaking. So there's a, there's a yeah, a recognition element. So I, I think that's probably the, the strongest so, thing to think about in the first place. 
so you raise an interesting point. You know, a lot of speak, a lot of authors are also speakers, and we go to a lot of events and things, and do a lot of voice work anyway from the stage, um, mm-hmm. or from podcasting, etc. But there is a difference, isn't there, between being a public speaker or a professional speaker and narrating something. So, um, like one of the things that I'm always saying to people is, look, if you want to get ready for this, start reading bedtime stories because you do have to slow your voice down and drop your, your modality and, and, you know, your tone, et cetera. Uh, do you find it takes a lot of work to train people to record their own voices for an audiobook? Not a lot, Dixie. There is, there is a small, there's really two or three hints and, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm not a professional voice coach, but I have, I have sung for most of my life. So I've had singing lessons. So I know some of the basics of, um, of projection and how you use your how you use your voice, but also those um, procedural things that we kind of do in conversation, but we don't necessarily uh, pay attention to. Things like pausing, um, taking your time through a taking your time through a story, uh, speeding speeding up your voice when you're coming up to a you know an exciting point in the book that you're making, and then slowing it right down to make the point. And then just keeping quiet for two or three seconds, letting the listener digest what you've just said, because our brains actually take two seconds from the time that we receive input to the time we can process it. The poor old brain needs at least two seconds. So if you're narrating very, very quickly in a very excited fashion, then you might actually find that, uh, that people are having to sort of stop and pause and say, hey, wait, what? And actually go back and review and re-listen to what you're saying. And of course, the technology will now enables you to speed up the audiobook. You can listen to an audiobook at double the rate of the of the author's normal um, normal speaking speed. So you can you can chunk it down as fast as you possibly want. So the emphasis for the initial recording for the author is just record it in a nice, comfortable, slow voice, bearing in mind that it, you're not talking to someone face to face. You're not trying to project your voice across an auditorium, but your listener has actually got you right here, like right in your, in your ear. So there's a need for a, a, a softer, uh, more intimate speaking style so that it doesn't sound too shouty. And then you get that lovely sense of, my analogy is it's like talking to somebody at a, at a dinner party. You might have turned to the person beside you and, and, um, and are telling them, you know, an enthralling story it's just it's loud enough so that the person can see all the expression and feel the expression in what you're saying rather uh, through your intonation but also just loud enough probably just with enough emphasis that perhaps you know someone just the other side of that other person people might be bending their ears a little bit at the table going oh I wonder what that story is that Dave's telling what's that uh, what's Janine on about over there so so we don't want you to be slow and and calm and flat but rather um as, as if you're having a, an intimate conversation with a friend. I think that's the style that tends to work the best for me. And, and you're right. It's, it's a matter of not projecting your voice and also making sure that you're aware of the fact that you have to have some tone and modality and some depth. And one of the best pieces of advice I was given um, as a speaker, in fact, which also I believe applies really well to audio voice, uh, audio mm. work, is to consider that who you are speaking to in this room at a dinner party is either not, uh, English is not their first language, so you have to slow down and pronounce your consonants more, slightly more clearly. That's and that too. you have to also allow for the fact that if they are not um, 
if English is not their first language, that they do have to have that extra second of time to absorb what you're saying. So practicing speaking, uh, in fact, Zoom is a great way to do this sometimes. Practicing speaking just that little bit slower is so helpful. And this really comes down to just the simple thing of practice. Now, Dave uh, Stannard is on the call and he's about to record his eBooks. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just said, is this not the same as speaking? Emphasis is achieved by speed and spacing. It's kind of like a dance, isn't it? You know, you don't do everything at the same pace when you're dancing. You have your, your up moments and your down moments. If you're thinking of it as being uh, like a dance, that you do allow for pausing and for uh, hesitation and listening to yourself and to practice. Um, Joe Hassan has just said to practice. Actually, Joe, I'll put you on. Um, do you want to just share that? Um, if you want to actually practice reading bedtime stories there's a fabulous book by mem fox called reading magic which literally teaches you the the art of saying slow words slowly and getting the excitement up when it's really exciting now i'm not <laughs> suggesting for our adult non-fiction business books we want to use that much um emphasis but in terms of um just teaching you Discovering how your- Discovering your range, In an exciting way so the listener has range and gets into the mood, then then Reading Magic by Mem Fox is a fabulous little mm. book. It's fantastic. That's a, that's a great bit of advice. Yeah, fantastic. Oh. Just to come... Yeah, just my, come son, my son used to um, enjoy bedtime stories once I learnt that art. <laughs> that's it, Joe. Like, I, I got my chops in, in my mind anyway. I mean, apart from singing with bands over many years, but when my children were young... I just loved reading to them at um, at bedtime, and I'll, I'll come back to that point in, in a second. But my favourite um, my favourite story, and and again, it was all about me. I wanted to read to them what I wanted to listen to, <laughs> and there was not all the time, but sometimes Dad got his way, and it would always be with Fox in Socks by Doctor Zeus. Who hasn't heard of that book? Now that's got an incredible array of fantastically frustrating tongue twisters. And, um, and it gives you that ability to, to experiment with your voice and practice and, and get more agile with what, with what you're doing. If I contrast that against my, say, eight, nine, 10 year old self, then my experience of reading out loud was being dragged up from a desk, desk at Amstel Primary School in front of a class of my peers to stand in front of the class and read, and read out loud. For a lot of authors, when I first work with them and we do a little practice read together, you can see that eight-year-old child. So it's almost a damaging experience, these early experiences we've had of reading and of what we feel is being reading in, reading in public. I'm, I'm sure people who public speak go through some, uh, some catharsis with this sort of stuff as well. So it's uh, the great remedy to all of that is that once we've given you, you know, sort of a couple of hours worth, roughly a couple of hours worth of coaching at the beginning of your recording session, if you do it yourself, then at the end of the book, you are totally match fit. You're in your groove, you're relaxed, you've, you've found your spot and, and you're, comfortable, you're comfortable with the microphone around you. So most of my authors will actually reread the introduction and chapter one after they've finished the entire book. And without exception, um, everyone senses that difference in terms mm. of the quality of your narration. Because you're just, like you were implying before, Dixie, it's a muscle. You've just got to train it. 
Yeah. And that's actually bringing me to a really interesting point. And you talked about, you know, if you were going to not do it at home, if you're going to record, you know, hire a studio, for example, that's when costs mm-hmm. by the hour start to really creep up. So ideally, yes. we want to do it from home or from our home office or maybe a hotel room or somewhere where we've got a really good quiet spot to do it. But how long does it take? And should you just go ahead and do the whole book all in one hit? Or does your voice get tired after a certain period of time and you need to block it into smaller chunks? I know Very good point. Very good point. Um, most of you here that have already written books, um, I, how, let me ask the audience a question. So uh, how many words do you think you can read in an hour? Just pop, pop that into the uh, comments section. Is that read as in speak, narrate. read, date, yeah. narrate, yeah, right. as opposed right. to how many you physically read, which is a hell of a lot? Well, yeah. your inner, yeah, your, your inner voice is fantastic, isn't it? It can pronounce everything, and you can you can learn to read very fast because it's a visual. Absolutely, it's a visual yeah, technology. absolutely. Yes, my son's a speed reader. I'm, yeah. I'm, Sorry. I'm not a. Re- I must confess to the group, I am not a reader myself. I really don't. I yeah. rarely read for pleasure. Most of my reading has all been nonfiction, you know, uh, information technology, programming specifications, and things like that. So for me, storytelling and listening has been that's my main learning tool. But um, but take us take a stab at it, folks. How many how many uh, words? The co- the comments are um, from five to six thousand, uh, sixty yeah. words per minute. Um, much, fa- much faster than sixty words per minute. Siri was recorded in four hour blocks. Um, we mm-hmm. know that because we know Karen quite well. Um, so we've heard the stories there. Um, okay, so that's quite a, a big range. Um, yeah, yeah, eight to ten thousand words. Ten thousand words per hour. That's that's getting a pretty good clip. You're, you're, you're speaking fairly quickly at 10,000 words an hour. Um, but Around about the eight is probably my preference. But if you are doing that, then that means that you're really only so on, a, let's say, a 30,000-word book. That's mm. only um, a couple of days' work or a, yes, a, a one the... day. So should you, should you aim to do it all in one day or does your voice just get too tired? Good point, Dixie. Yeah, that's right. So let's let's say tip, typically a forty thousand word book will take around about six to seven studio hours. So authors, on average, will make around about around about one one hundred misreads per hour at the microphone. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's actually not that many. So let me address Dixie's question uh, quickly before I move on. Um, so what you're looking at is. Uh, seven hours for your 40,000 40, word book, I suggest recording in no greater than two hour blocks yep. because it's quite tiring. It's a lot mm. of energy because you're not just, again, you're not just standing up in front of the class for 10 minutes reading from Dr. Zeus. Um, you're actually reading with emphasis. And of course, it's an emotional journey as well. I mean, this is a book that you've, that you've written. There's a lot about yourself and you're touching on areas which, which have um, emotional energy associated with them as well. So it's quite a tiring exercise and you do feel a little bit of pressure at the, at the beginning to do your very best at the work. And you will actually pause and say, you know, I'm going to say stop here, Dave. So all of my authors say stop. If, if you want to make a correction in the recording, you just take a pause after, after a mistake, say stop, give yourself another second and then do a reread. So that gives you an opportunity just to reset and then try it again. And if you still don't think the emphasis is right, then say stop and record another one. So I'll, I'll come along and clean up all of those 
first, second and third takes and, um, and pick the best one if it's, it's usually the last one because you know the one that you, that you feel is right. But occasionally I'll pick the third or the second one. Two-hour blocks, keep your mouth moist, take your time and you can tell if you're feeling tired and I'll explain those in a minute if you like. So I know that you've got this wonderful um, short video that we can all download um, from your website um, after this that actually gives you the, uh, everyone, the absolute insights into how some of the technical side of this is done, like keeping your mouth fresh and, you know, how to stop and start and, and make it easier for the editor. Mm. But once, once you have completed the recording, what happens to the the recording then? Because we all you're encouraging us to record on Audacity. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting, my voice is going while we're talking about recording. Um, we're recording on Audacity. What happens to the files after that? Do you just take it and work your magic? Like, and how long does that take to turn it around? So, what is the time frame for producing what we've sure, recorded? sure, Dixie. So we've we've kind of we've. We've talked a little bit about, a, a bit about narration, which kind of gives you a, a sense of what the recording phase is, uh, the sort of time that's going to take. So I suggest, for example, my, my usual suggested routine is that you record the book over a week. So you set aside an hour or two in the evening, usually after all the, not, not when the cockies are screeching at, um, at dusk. So you've got to pick your time a little bit at, at home. Um, evenings is usually, usually perfect. So You've just taken your time, done an hour or two per evening over the course of the week. When you finish that, that's the end of the recording phase. Um, I can electronically receive those recording files from you pretty readily these days. So Google Drive, Dropbox, something, something like that. And then the next week will, me, will be me actually going through the recording and going through and finding those little bumps and pops. Uh, we'll be breaking it down into chapters cleaning up those bits and pieces where you've had to re-record certain sections. And at the end of that week, um, we will then have a complete version of the audio, audio book, pretty, pretty tight to the, to the book version. We can talk about, there's a couple of exceptions, but not that many. And then I will actually return that um, finished product back to you where the volume levels will be set according to industry standards. Um, We'll have made some tiny changes to the, quality of your voice and then it's for you folks to give me an opinion back as to whether you like it or not or or hear anything that you missed that you might like to include or ask any questions and um, and at that point um, once it's approved then we're ready to go the next stage which is to actually upload it to I think we go to 20 different audiobook retailers around the world at the moment including the ones you'd expect including Audible, uh, Amazon, iTunes, um, Google Play is much, much larger these days. So you're covering the, you know, the iPhone and the, and the um, Android audience. Right. And, um, and among them, there are multiple um, uh, online book publishers who, are, who now have an audio component to their libraries. Yes, as we do with um, our Indie Experts library. So the whole picture to keep in your mind at the moment, it's anywhere from six to eight weeks. For that entire process from a dead stop through to through to um, usually audible is the last one to they take the longest to publish your book they have a very a very stringent um, quality assurance department over there so they really take their time with their books and Jeff Bezos is seems to have not liked the idea of employing additional people during COVID so 
So um, we have the we have a bit of a delay this time of the year around Christmas and sort of into January and February. So we need um, to allow another two or three weeks sometime. We do want to talk a little bit about Audible because there's a couple of news items around Audible that Michelle's going to talk to us about yes. shortly. Um, but yes. just before we go any further and before sure. I ask about some cost components to this, um, I just sure. want to point out for the Kiwis, particularly on the call, Cockies screaming at each other at sunset is not farmers yelling at each other over the paddocks. New Zealand, we call cockies, we call farmers cockies. Cockies, for all other people from outside of Australia, is the birds. Just wanted to make that clear in case we get people saying, "What's that all about?" Yeah, that's it. Yes, and don't don't bother don't bother ringing your 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 neighbouring. Farmers yeah. saying, look, John, you know, you know that thing you do at 6.30 every night, if you could not do it for a week. <laughs> and that's a really interesting point in terms of recording a book too, is that if you have colloquialisms in your book, do you think it's necessary to either um, explain some of those within the book or to actually change them? Because when you're hearing something and you're tripping over something that you don't understand, you'll frequently then miss the next piece, won't you? So do you think it's worth kind of moderating some of those, some of the jargon or the um, or having an explanation for some of the jargon or colloquialisms at the end of the book? That's a really nice idea, Dixie. I, I don't, I actually don't have um, an experience at this stage, but I can think of a few things that are running through my head on the basis of that comment are um, uh, quite often I'm asked to narrate certain sections of the book. So parts of um uh, books that they may include quotes, or they may include, say, excerpts of um, if uh, case studies or something like that. They're written in the in the third person, and so it doesn't really make sense for the narrator to, for instance, the easiest example I can think of is about the author, the about the author section. It really doesn't make sense for that to be in the author's voice because it's more often than not written, you know, Caroline. Caroline is an expert CEO. You know, D Dave Stokes is an expert in. It doesn't make sense for the author to write. So in that in that case, as you have a second voice coming in, but sorry to come around, but by virtue of that experience, I've found myself occasionally trying to pronounce the name of some Polish researchers <laughs> as good part of that. that. So that's the that's the yeah, and it is it it really is good luck with that. And often you've actually got to try and Google it online, try and find uh, where they've done any kind of public speaking or whatever, and they introduce themselves. To actually find out how to how to pronounce the name, so that's kind of a bit off topic to what you're suggesting. But yes, I think if there's any, it's the. Are you guys all aware of the concept of the of the curse of knowledge? It's, uh, can I introduce that briefly? Have we got time? Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. So the the curse of knowledge is is basically states that once we have learned something in our lives, it's almost impossible to go back to the state prior to having had that knowledge so that you can explain it to someone else. Right. So it's, it's, it's something which becomes completely unconscious to it, unconscious to us. You, you see it most often when you're talking to somebody at, um, uh, I don't know, like IT help desk, just to pick on those poor folks, because I've, I've been one is that, um, you know, you can't help yourself. Somebody will ring up and say, Oh, my computer's broken. And you're going, well, well, which part, like which version of windows have you got loaded? Like, did you guys to get the, the 1.7.8.5 upgrade that we sent out last week in the email with the with the new mouse pads and and you start going into this technical jargon without even realizing what you're doing and the person is just they're glazed over has got no idea what you're talking about so I think if if the book is about um, has specific 
technical or domain language that that needs to be uh, explained. Then I think that's a great that'd be a great feature at the introduction of the book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about where what sort of cost um, it, it is involved in creating an audio book and whether if you hire a professional voice artist versus uh, doing it yourself, whether, you know, what sort of difference there is. Because if we, okay. you know, if we're talking thousands of dollars to hire a professional, why, why would we do that and what sort of additional cost is there? But also mm. what sort of price range do we want to be selling e um, audio books for? Sure. Okay. Well, maybe to answer the last question first, the generally your audio book is pitched between your ebook price and your paperback price, but closer to the paperback price. So, as an example, if you're charging six dollars for your for your ebook and twenty three dollars for your paperback, then you might pitch the audio book, you know, somewhere above somewhere above fifteen dollars. Okay. As a, as a general rule, if, if, you, if you check, if you have a look on Amazon where you can actually often see all three prices lined up together, I think you'll find that's the, the, basic, the basic trend. But um, I'm very easy to remember with my pricing. So the full service record, edit, produce and publish is $500 XGST per 10,000 words. Easy. So that way, yeah. So 500 per 10,000, so you can pretty, pretty easily put together the, the total cost. If you want a narrator, we um, sell our narrators out at $100 per finished hour. So a finished hour, we talked about um, how you might make mistakes in your recording and we take those mistakes out. So the finished hour is, is free of errors. That's right. the final, you know, that's the final, final production. Okay. So when you, so, for instance, if you want to use a narrator for um, your third-person parts in your book, then you know sometimes it can just cost an extra couple of hundred dollars. And what you end up with is you have your voice as the author carrying through. Then you give the listener a little bit of a special experience by having another voice come into the book as well, which just adds a, in my mind, a layer of um, theatre or texture or uh, novelty. That's great. Yeah, so, but a studio, and studio, studio, bare minimum, um, man studio because you need to hire not just the studio. Generally, you need to hire the the engineer as well. It needs mm -hmm. to be manned, and even if the engineer is just got to sit there for the day, not coach you, not advise you, but just watch to make sure the recording levels are okay. It's a minimum of six hundred dollars a day. Yeah, I want to invite Bronwyn Reed into the conversation because Bronwyn has done her audio book. Um, I think she's done two audio books now. Um, but I know that Bronwyn's book has a few tables and um, graphics, et cetera, in there. So I'm just wondering, Bronwyn, one, how did you find it to record your book for the first time? And what did you do about covering off things like, um, you know, where you wanted to have, we, in, the, in the printed book, you would have had um, graphics or illustrations. How did you tackle that as part of your, your, your production? Well, first of all, I really enjoyed recording my audiobook. Um, I f um, it sounds a bit conceited, but I really, really enjoyed reading my own words. Um, I personally found recording in the morning best because I oh. was fresh, my voice was fresh. Um, I didn't record for too long at a time, as Dave said, probably only a couple of hours. 
um, Dave made the whole process so incredibly easy. He is um, a master of his craft and he, he, he just made the whole experience really, really enjoyable. Um, apart from yes. cockatoos. Yes, Bromwood. Oh, but it's true, <laughs> Dave. You. It's true. Um, Thank you. The other thing apart from cockatoos is lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody lawnmowers. Um, as to the diagrams in, um, in the book, I actually had them all available on my website. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wanted to see, like, without having the whole text, but just um, I had images of the, um, of the illustrations in the book. What about tables? Do you, do you have to deal with tables? Um, or, Dave, do you, can you address this as well? Do you have to deal with tables in a different way when you read it? it Remember it what I did, Dave? Go <laughs> what on, did Brooklyn. we do? Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think back to your book and I'm not sure that we had that much tabular data. Tabular data tends to become, and again, it's, you know, it's a story of life, you know, things are all kind of circumstance dependent. So with, with tables, short, short tables, if you've got something which has got, you know, a, a couple of columns and, and five rows, then you can probably fairly comfortably explain those 10 items in, in audio. Just give the person the illustration saying, well, what, we, what we're talking you through here are the five different dimensions across these two other dimensions. Yeah. Oh. And then just explain, explain the intersections of, of the data. Now, um, by extreme contrast, I had one author who's a financial accountant and one of the, one of the pages in her book was a month-by-month, 24-month cash flow with approximately 35 revenue expense items. Oh my goodness! Nag, and she did. She did begin to read it out, and I, I could hear her thinking, right, you know, sort of shoring herself up on the <laughs> in the microphone. You could sort of hear it getting into it, and and getting through. Got through to about August, and just went. Um, and no, I just don't think that's going to work. I'm going to have to call Dave. So we t- so we talked about it and said, well, the easiest thing to do in, in this case is to. And it's what Bronwyn's alluding to is to keep a thing that we generically call a companion PDF. So there's an audiobook companion and oh. it, it can either be, so you can either use it as a vehicle to just, you know, the easiest method often is to, is to just say to the user, look, this audiobook is much better understood and you'll get a much more complete immersive experience if you buy the ebook as well. So there's an opportunity for you to flog your ebook. Alternatively, if you think that's too cheeky and you're going, oh, well, it was 15 for the ebook plus, you know, six, if you want to be careful not to discourage your buyer, um, then to go the route that uh, Bromman's referring to, which is just to take those, those really big, difficult to explain diagram tables, infographics, whatever they may be, and just pop them into a separate little PDF that might be 15 or 20 pages long, um, but just refer to it as you're talking through the audio book and the other lovely thing that that does for you is it actually sends traffic to your website so you can you can use that companion pdf as a little bit of a um, a little bit of clickbait is that too cheap to use that term <laughs> clickbait. yeah with the, with the tables i had I only had two tables and i i just described them as as dave said just described what the table was i didn't go and read all the numbers out but it wasn't a seven. It wasn't a seven-year month-by-month cash flow, as I recall, Bromwell. 
No, no. <laughs> so it's about it's about the level of detail and the amount of time, and also with things like lists can be problematic in the same way. So um, a gin a gin distiller I've worked with. There are certain parts of the book once once he gets into the detail of um, the various botanicals and fruits and and all of those lovely different things that they actually use to make all the lovely you know to make lovely gin is you, you you can come down to 30 or 40 different ingredients and again that that's another good case to include it in the companion pdf because as the, as the listeners listening through the book they're going well yeah i get the idea of the lemon peel i get the idea of the cardamom i get the idea of the juniper berries but i'm not going to listen to an entire recipe of 30 different ingredients um that's for later you know that's not what the audiobook's for i i, I want that deeper story at a later stage when I actually decide I'm going to buy myself a still and start, you know, distilling myself. So it's, it's about the, um, the leveling of the information, I think too. So if it's, if it's too much, too much information, then um, typically what folks will do is you refer to it. So you would say, please refer to the companion PDF. You've already introduced probably in the same spot, Dixie early in, in, in the book where we've talked about, um, here's a glossary of some of the terms that we use in the book, which are very industry specific. Mm. Below that, you might also say um, that uh, this this book this book has has a set of diagrams or images which have kind of defeated uh, explanation. And so, for your benefit, we've included them in a companion PDF at www.bromwinread.com.au front slash resource, and we'll refer to it to that companion PDF during the book. So when you come to that section in your book, you will just say, please refer to page seven of the companion PDF. Done. Use it, pauses at that point if they want to and flip over on their phone or their, or their laptop to the companion PDF, absorb what it is that you've asked them to have a look at. If it's, if it's important for that section of the book that they actually need to consume and understand that information before sensibly moving on. Um, or alternatively, the user can just um, leave leave that all and just look at the companion PDF as a piece. Right. That's a great idea. List. So would you treat footnotes and endnotes in the same way, just add them into the companion PDF? And if you're going through and reading, at what point do you turn around and say, you know, this is where the little number is above the word normally, so... Yeah. Where do you where do you refer to those little points? Great, great point. I've only done one author who wanted to keep the footnotes. Generally, I I suggest against them, and that's another case I think for making a referral towards the beginning of the audio book. That the printed version of this book does contain footnotes, and these can be found or purchased at and you know and send send the person off to a buying link so they can have the printed or the ebook copy. Um, but in um, in Danielle Dobson's case, she's written a book called um, uh, Breaking the Gender Code. Um, it's just in the final stage of production at the moment. And Danielle, because Danielle's written, um, this is a metadata piece, so she's got 60, um, 60 interviews and done a full qualitative study around um, around gender issues. It's a, uh, it's a really beautiful book. Like, it's really, it, this is one of the more stunning ones in terms of content. You know, that's the lovely thing about this job is, I get to listen to a lot of really incredible, you know, thinking. And, uh, and so in, in Danielle's case, she's decided that we will actually read out the footnotes during the course of the book. So, so as you're reading through and you come across a footnote in in-text footnote, we will actually say footnote one at the end of that. 
And in this, in a very similar way that we've introduced the companion PDF, inside the companion PDF, we will also have the footnotes as part of that document. And so again, if, if the user is interested in saying, oh, I think I know who said that. And for instance, if they're quoting someone or quoting a bit of research, then you might go, I think I know who said that. That sounds like, um, that sounds like COVID. And you can, again, pause the audio book, open up the companion PDF, go to the appropriate footnote and actually read it and go, oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's COVID talking about the nature of la, 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 la. So you can put footnotes in. The only thing to be caught careful of is not to disturb the, the flow and the cadence of the book mm. too much. So that, that's kind of a judgment call, yeah? So if you, have, if you have like 20 footnotes per chapter in your book, you might want to, you know, Rethink. perhaps go. <laughs> just, yeah. It's yeah. all about the, the enjoyment for the reader, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've all listened to podcasts, for example, where suddenly it just feels hard work to listen to and you know as a society mm. we're becoming so much more um uh, requiring of better quality all the time which is why you know good ebooks good printed books good audiobooks will always rise to the surface because they stand out so much from all of the rubbish that's out there and there's an awful lot of that's that. very um, true yeah. yeah that's very true quality quality um audio quality standards as a rule across the industry are not particularly great. Yeah. And even like, and I've, I've listened to Michelle Obama and, um, and Hillary Clinton. They, they both have audio books because I thought I really want to listen to somebody who's at you know, top of game with this sort of stuff. It's a bit different when you go to the, when you go to the professional narrators, the Stephen Fry's and the um, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, they, they are superb voices with superb audio quality. Right. But mm. they've, you know, but they're part of the whole, you know, television and, and movie industry so you would expect you know you it would be ridiculous for them not to go that extra mile but when you come to quite famous famous individuals i'm staggered at how how bad the recording often is mm. they'll be clipped the somehow the recording process has given them a lisp um, other ones there's crackling noise in the background and just the overall quality particularly hillary clinton's which i, I actually did listen to the first hour and a half of and in the end i Regardless of the fact that I think it's a you know that it was a compelling story, but um, but after a while I had to put it down and go, wow, Hillary, like you know you, you've probably got rid of a hundred thousand copies of or more of this of this audio book, and the quality is really crappy. And I'm sort of thinking, why couldn't you spend mm. that extra couple of minutes and just get the microphone position right and and you know have a bit of advice before doing this? So 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 you've actually got an opportunity to rise above. Um, a lot of other self-published authors, I think, if you're recorded properly and you get nice sound quality. It's like, I don't know if you folks find the same in podcasts. Some, some podcasts, the guest audio quality is, is so appalling that you're going, like, this is beyond, you know, even what you, you know, it's like, it's like the old days of, um, you know, somebody calls in from their car on the radio and you can hardly make them out. Mm. So, so it, it, it can be agitating and jarring, I think, if the audio quality isn't, isn't to a reasonable Minimum. So yeah, so that's an opportunity for the author, I think. Yeah, that's great, great advice. Um, so we, we're going to start to wrap this up fairly shortly, but um, sure. just call for any last questions. Um, one of the things that I'm always mindful of with 
the whole concept of books and recording and all that sort of thing is that sometimes you just don't have time to get to the end. And we talked briefly last week about the idea of um, doing abridged versions because, and I know for me personally, um, like I was listening to a really good friend uh, reading from a really good friend of mine a couple of days ago, and she was saying that she spent this wonderful Sunday listening to a podcast uh, to an audiobook for about four hours while she did some coloring in. And I'm thinking, mm. I don't have time for that. And if I'm going for a walk, yes, I might listen to something or a podcast or, a, or an audiobook, but I don't have time to schedule that much time to just listen to something. So just the idea one thing. of an yeah. abridged book where it's like maybe, you know, an hour long and I can listen to that over two walking sessions or one walking session appeals to me greatly as a listener. And so just tell us what you were talking about the other day about the idea of um, abridged audio versions because I think it's brilliant. Sure, yeah, Dixie, that's that's true. Like it's been, um, um, it's amazing how with audio we're talking about something which is very simple and, I mean, it's it's older than reading. It's you know, it's 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 almost older than language, really. That the fact that we use our auditory sense, you know, it's it's abs- it's it's one of the pr- been one of the prime movers behind our, um, our our evolution. So so it's a very instinctive way of going through something, and as and as you point out, with with busy lives and that sort of stuff, it's it you sort of you know maybe there is a good case for that try before you buy. So before you sit down and record your ninety thousand word. 90,000 word book, which is going to take you, you know, you're going to be at the microphone for 18, 19 hours getting all that together. So it's a big, big commitment and a, and a big financial commitment as well to release the audio book. Then why not consider the option where some of the, some of our, um, some of our guests might remember the um, Reader's Digest books. Oh, yes. So the idea of Reader's Digest is that there were these clever little, clever little um, writers who had actually produced condensed versions of, um, of much larger larger works you know usually fiction and adventure and all that sort of stuff so that's one option so when dixie's referring to an abridged version of the book that's one option you might condense your your um you know 13 hour audio book down to an hour so pick out all the sexy bits or alternatively take two or three themes of the book and explain them in enough detail that you can do them justice and release that as um you know for for three dollars fifty hmm so people can actually go, oh, you know, I'm a bit tempted to buy the $35 audio book, but what's this, you know, what's this little $3.50 thing that I can just have a look at? Get a feel for it, listen to it, three bucks, I'm not going to blink. Have a listen to it, I'll get through it in an hour. As you say, you know, Dixie's listening to it as she walks the dog and simultaneously vacuuming, cleaning the guttering and washing the car. And then you've got through it all. <laughs> So yeah. multitask superwoman. <laughs> superwoman Dixie. And so um, and so by the end of that hour, you've actually got a pretty good sense of what the of what the book's about. And you might sort of go, you know what, that was enough for me. Fantastic. That was terrific. Or, you know, I might scoot, I might scoot back and when I've got a bit more time, I'll I'll go and download the entire audio book and buy it that way. So it's a uh, what what a Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbing, breadcrumbing the sale. So just sending somebody along a, a little trail so if, see if you can catch the um, so it might be nice just to catch a little fish first and then you know catch the big catch the big groper as a result of what you've done in the first instance so uh, abridged versions can be um, really what what you make them mm. so it's it's a matter of thinking about how you, whether you want to condense and summarize the entire book and write it all as a summary or whether you want to pick out specific aspects and just take a couple of them so that they Again, so they breadcrumb. They're more of a tempter 
into the into the final version of the book. You might leave bits out on purpose. So um, one additional question before I um, wrap this up, and I, I want to um, also ask you to tell us where we can get the uh, the, the really cool um, recording that I uh, mentioned. Oh, sure, before. yeah. But just one last thing. A lot of us are doing Zoom calls and recording them. Is it possible to take the audio version of our Zoom calls and send them to you so that you can then repackage them so they can go on to some things like our, um, you know, for them to become podcasts? Is that is that something that you would do as well? Yeah, that's, that, that, that is something that I do at the moment, Dixie. So... Um... Yeah, there, there. I have um, all of my. I, I produce um, three different three different podcasts series for, for for three different groups, and that's precisely what they do. They they literally have the in the environment that we're in now. They've been recording on Zoom. Um, they conduct all of their interviews, you know, and it can be um, either the two co-hosts chatting together, or it might include three or four three or four guests. And through Zoom, we can actually record a separate track for each individual voice. So mm. in Dixie's recording here, there's probably going to be one recording called Dave Stokes, another one called Sue, another one called Joe, another one called David. And so what that enables you to do is you can you can piece all that together, all of those three different soundtracks, and make sure that it's a nice quality recording. And mm. we could literally, Dixie, um, yeah, top and tail this with a with an intro, you know, so it'd be uh, welcome to the indie experts. You know, yeah. today we're speaking with blah blah blah, and you tail it at the end. I think so, we yeah. will definitely be doing that. So watch out for that, everyone. Um, oh, we're and- going to have we're going to have to all be on our best behaviour now, are we? Yes, all of us on our best oh, well, behaviour. That, that, that counts know. me out. <laughs> it's a nice live, you know, friendly conversation, so that's fine. But we will start doing that because it's a really powerful thing. But I think for all, any of us doing, you know, podcast. Uh, zoom calls we don't necessarily think of those as being viable simple straightforward um audio recordings that we can also share so so dave tell us where we can go to get the fabulous download that you've created for us do you mind if i just do you mind if i just put the if i just put the link directly in the chat box if you you folks can quickly jump in and copy it before and then i'll also add it to the um online platform um Oh, uh, thank you. That'd be great. After today. So this this very short Thanks, um, video that Dave did just basically says all of the things that we've been talking about today, but um, talks about how to set your microphone up, the equipment that you need, uh, what you need to be ready for when you are getting ready mm-hmm. to do your audio book, and then, um, you know, just lots of other really good tips. So... Sorry, it's a bit of a clunky. Sorry, Dixie, it's a bit. Of, it's a bit of a clunky old link. I'm sorry about that. I probably should have <laughs> shortened that one. But yeah, if you copy that link and click through, it it should just open the video in a new window in your web browser and just play through. And it's quite short, five minutes. It just talks about, uh, as Dixie says, um, narration technique. Um, talks a little bit about the equipment, the positioning of your microphone, which is all important. How you set up your microphone in relation to your mouth is absolutely vital. And it also talks about the environment. So what you might choose in terms of where to record and, um, and also about narrate, nar- narrator's fatigue, which we kind of touched on but didn't really get into. Yeah. Thanks, Dixie. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been absolutely fascinating. And I've learned so much. Um, and I mean, I've had many conversations with you already. But every time I talk to you, I learn new things. And, um, it's, and it's absolutely brilliant to see the insights of 
how the audiobook industry actually functions and what we can mm. do with it. So thank you. Um, and Bronwyn, thank you for, for contributing to the conversation as well. And, uh, and Joe for the great tip on, uh, we'll put uh, that book that you mentioned onto the list as well. That was Mem Fox, was that right? Is yeah, it Mem too Fox, cheeky? Reading Magic. So we'll add that to the list of, of extra Is it too resources. cheeky for me to put an email address up in the chat chat box as well, Dixie, or would you like Absolutely, to Absolutely, go for it. I will. All uh, right. Let's also so add it's it. just dave at authortoaudio.com. Yeah. Always happy to talk, as you can probably tell. And Dave and I are going to be recording, uh, working through um, our, a couple of our own um, books, my own um, books uh, over the holidays to uh, to turn into abridged versions. We'll test the abridged yeah. version system. So I think that that'll be, be fantastic, Dixie. And I found out since our last conversation that um, Amazon, when if you look at your Amazon <laughs> book page, then it will show the abridged version and and the whole version. So it actually, at mm. the moment, they work like little tiles. So you'll have a little box which will show the ebook version, the audiobook version, the printed version, uh, the uh, paperback. Sorry. And, and hardcover if you had a, have a hardcover version, but it'll also create a tile for the abridged version as well. So, yeah, it'll be That's fascinating. To, and how you do the abridging too, Dixie, that'll be interesting to see what which pathway you decide to go down. Yes, a bit of thinking required there, I'm sure. Mm. Can, I, can I just um, re-ask the question Bronwyn asked in the chat is whether you get someone else to write the abridged version? Or whether we do, whether it's suggested we do that ourselves. Like, is it easier for someone else to actually sort of be that, be the helicopter above our manuscript, and for someone else to do the summary? That's an interesting question, Joe. I mean, again, if, if I can just talk about the audio guys, sort of, you know, peripheral to the literary side of, of publication, I find it very difficult. I, I still don't think I've written a very good description of my business. Like, I don't think my elevator pitch or my bio is any good at all because I've written it. I've actually got a friend of mine who's a, who's a journalist who just asked me a whole bunch of questions the other week and said, that's fine, Dave, we'll get 600 words out of that. And then, you know, he put in front of me something that I just, I really didn't recognise, but I knew it was me, but I would have never in my wildest dreams have written it that way. So there is an argument, I think, for, for people, others see you better than you see yourselves from that. But, but the other point of view too is that you've got all of that detailed knowledge inside your, inside your mind. So it might be great say in Dixie's case, for her to do the actual abridging first and bring it to a certain stage and then maybe have a second set of eyes over it. Dixie, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, we frequently do that anyway. So um, with all of my all of our authors, what we do is we, um, we try and give feedback on what the content is looking like and how it's shaping up and you know, try to be as objective as possible when we're sort of framing up and shaping up things. Um, but it's really hard to do your own stuff. So, you know, we're always here and available to, to give someone feedback on, you know, especially you guys, you're, you know, you're, you're our tribe, uh, to give you feedback on how the abridged version might shape up. You know, it still goes back to that original plan that we worked to to get your book written. Mm. Um, how do we um, work the magic with your manuscript and then take the pieces out that are the best gold that then still, you know, make it really attractive for someone to buy the full version. So, you know, just talk to me, your favourite manuscript maestro, and we'll work it out. No problem. Yeah, yep. Dixie, have we got a chance? David, I was just wondering, um, wondering if you had a, had a question. I think, did Dixie mention at the very start that you were thinking about an audio book? 
Um, yeah, I've been constantly thinking about it, and I've and I've been chatting away in the background, largely to myself, I think. But uh, it's okay. Just I'm, to, I'm, I'm, excuse, yeah. Yeah. Um, excuse me, I, I don't shut up often enough. You, you wouldn't believe that I'm in the listening yeah. business sometimes. Yeah, that's okay. That's that's, that's <laughs> part of uh, today's world. You have four conversations going on, and you watch a screen and talk at the same time, um, <laughs> which I can do equally well too, actually. But uh, you get lost. No, like I, um, yeah, very definitely think that's the way to go i've noticed certainly the power through what i do on a and will do for just less than two months more um use of audible and stuff like that i, I can mm -hmm. see that's really powerful it's not as good at a purely psychological level of learning compared to reading a manuscript and reading a hard book but it's a busy world and it's getting ideas across there and certainly i've been mm -hmm. encouraged by the reactions to developing a, a podcast and learning my way through that using another member of the group here and working Excellent. out the techniques and and I and, and part of it for me is, is it's a self-learning journey as well about going through making those podcasts and in the process of that learning how to speak properly for a podcast even though it's a random mm. process as opposed to a more structured one when you're reading a book but I've certainly yeah. learned a lot of that I've learned all of all of those weird things that six months ago I wouldn't have known about audacity and, yeah. and woofers and doofers and poopers and all sorts of stuff going on in yeah. the background and, and learning the settings on there and, and then learning how to edit. The recording bit is real easy for me. I, Fantastic. You know. Fantastic. Can I, would you mind if I ask the elephant in the room question? Go for it. What, why on earth would the vision guy want an audio product? Um, simply because it's an extension of your marketing and you can't necessarily always get out a visual thing. So if you're driving a motor car, doing a visual presentation Beautiful. on a video is a bit dangerous. Gotcha. I understand. So did it make any sense to you today when we were talking about things like the companion PDF, those sorts of visual um Unfortunately, I missed that, that section. I had to go and do an operations meeting in the middle of all of that. So Oh, no worries. Oh, well, you got my email address, Dave. We can, yeah. Yeah, we, we'll talk some further. And you're, you're only... Um, a trip across the bay from me, so I'm I'm now on the other side of Melbourne. So you're just a ferry trip away. We we might make that happen when I have uh, more time on my hands to uh, to do better stuff yeah. and run operations yeah. meetings. Interesting, fantastic. So I'm going to bring this to a close because we've just hit the hour. And thank you so much, everybody. Um, the recording will be up on the platform uh, within the next few hours, and we will be turning this into a podcast version as well. So. Um, Thank you, everyone, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. And we've got a big newsletter coming out shortly as well, so which will recap a lot of the information that we've been gathering over the last few weeks. So thanks have a for the lovely opportunity, Dixie. That's been that's been gorgeous. Thank you very much. Thank you, and Dave. Thank you all. Good talking with you, Dave. Dave. Good stuff. Have a great day, everybody. Well, that's one more flag on the map clearly identified. For extra author resources to make your journey even more enjoyable and stress-free, visit www.indieexperts.com.au. You can locate us on all our social media platforms by just searching for Indie Experts. Join Dixie and Anne next time for more navigating the journey of sharing expertise through publishing books that work harder.